0: Boogie hates racism and Chris
1: Paul. And who cannot get on board with that platform?
0: If I've learned a lot, this I, I'm not gonna say it.
1: That sounds too good. No, good, no, roll. No, 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 no. <laughs> if the Bucks do win it all, Pat Connaughton's numbers should be in the rafters. Hey there. Welcome to GSPN. You may notice there was no Monday Eurostep this week. That's because. Rohan Khadi's a world traveler and doesn't have time for us mere mortals in, in Bucksland anymore. I'm Ty Windish, joined by Adam McGee, also a world traveler, but one who made time for us, and Jordan Tresky of the Win in Six podcast, here to talk about... Uh, honestly, I feel like we haven't really had a week without a bunch of Bucks news at this point. Um, it's got to slow down at some point, although we're getting close to the draft now. Maybe it just won't. Maybe that's the NBA now. We'll see. But Adam, Jordan, fellas, how's it going?
2: Going well, Ty. Great to be here with you.
3: Regional traveler checking in here. <laughs> um, yeah, more Bucks news. The draft will probably be the
1: quietest <laughs> it
3: will be for the Bucks because
1: uh, they have the last pick. How long? Um, how long are they going to wait to sell that thing? Is my question. How long do we have to pretend like they're going to use that pick?
3: I don't know. Maybe they move it. The John Horse special. The draft starts at seven. It's seven oh three. streets out. The Bucks have moved their pick to the Indiana Pacers for three future second rounders. They
2: look there's a good chance they're gonna have to do some stuff one way or another. So some of that could play out on draft night, play out around draft night. I know that's not helpful for us in terms of being able to plan or even for, for Bucks fans to really kind of zero in on the kind of players they'd like if the Bucs ended up with a pick or But I think this is kind of the reality of the books offseason. It's not impossible that draft night ends up being a big night for the books in a whole bunch of ways. Although, yeah, I'd be doubtful that it would be purely about where they're drafting.
1: Although, who knows? Maybe Adrian Griffin in town now. Maybe there'll be more players added on draft night actually in the draft. Maybe more focus on that. We will see TBD. I don't know what kind of pre-draft coverage we're going to have. TBD on that, too. I mean, it's really hard to scout picks at 58. We'll figure out something. But from the last week, as I mentioned, some big news to cover. I think first and foremost, Chris Middleton got surgery. That didn't happen last week. The report from Eric Neyman, Shams Charania of the Athletic, was that it happened soon after the playoffs ended. A planned procedure to address that right knee soreness that it had bothered Chris pretty much all season uh, after he was cleared for basketball activity following the wrist surgery last off season. So Chris is slated to resume playing basketball again in July, uh, which may be longer than you would hope, but still months before the start of the next season. Uh, I think in the reporting, it said this was quote a minor arthroscopic, arthroscopic procedure and quote, we don't have almost Dr. Rohan here to talk about this. So, Jordan, you're going to be our medical I mean, uh, expert. I've,
2: I've had an arthroscopy. So.
1: Okay, well, I guess, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it would be more fun to throw it to Jordan. Adam, and just make so I, be more
2: I, I agree. I, I think Jordan can do it.
3: <laughs>
1: Adam, I see the floor. You've had this procedure done, so
3: therefore my my stethoscope goes out of the shelf.
2: <laughs> well, uh, an arthroscopy is a really, really... Vague term, I guess. It's a general term for keyhole surgery in your knee. And me, keyhole? I, keyhole surgery, yeah. What is that? Sorry, that's the I type don't... of inc- the incision is essentially like keyhole the size. The size. Keyhole? Yeah. So keyhole surgery. That's an arthroscopy.
1: This is, is this the robot? Okay. It's like the robot goes in there. Uh, not possibly, I guess the
2: pet of where you get it done. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um. I don't. I don't believe a robot did mine, but basically. An arthroscopy doesn't give us a whole lot of information. I think the the detail that tells us most of this is that it's cleanup surgery. Um, That and the timeline would make it seem like, okay, this isn't a big deal. And maybe even it's just part and parcel of the wear and tear that Chris clearly has at this point. I would say still not great. I know, having spoken privately, you're actually kind of optimistic about this, tie, and I get where you're coming from. But at this point, any additional procedure, any additional work, any additional time away from being in peak condition for Chris is a concern. Obviously, if you need the surgery, you need the cleanup work done. you got to get it done. Um, but it would be so much nicer if he had just got a completely healthy offseason and was able to rest up, get to work, and come back better into next season. So, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little concerned just that it was required. I mean, it doesn't have to be the end of the world, but given what Chris has been true and what the books have been true with him, and of course, given where we're at with his contract situation, I don't think it's the absolute ideal for either party at this point in his career.
1: I don't think it's better than not getting surgery, to be clear. I mean, if the report was just like, oh, his knee is actually great now, that would clearly be better. Um, But I'm kind of glad that, you know, versus Brooke, and of course, entirely different thing and, and, you know, that can't be overstated. I mean, Brooke with the back for the big fella, it's a whole different conversation. I mean, this is something Chris has talked about. He's dealt with basically since the Texas A&M days. So much, much different, but... The fact that he's able, one, he was able to play through the knee bothering him and defensively not good, but offensively play quite well in the playoffs, right? I think, you know, one of the more confusing things about people being, certain people being very pro let Chris walk, which as we've talked about a bunch, I mean, it's just not feasible to team building in the NBA to let guys walk. What year is this comment from? I know. Because it's it's been ongoing for a long. It repeatedly repeats itself all the time. What is this? Eight years now of let Chris walk, I think, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that Six was the eight years. Yeah,
2: it's just everyone. Like if it's not yeah. Chris, it's uh, I, I. I would have thought most books fans at this point, even those who really don't care about anything cap related, and they just care about the players being on the roster, not how they get there, would probably realize best route to the best books team is always keeping your guys. Maybe it involves trading them down the line, but anyone walks, you're just you're just losing that salary, and maybe now more than ever with the changes in CBA.
1: Yeah, certainly. So, um, but I, I just think it's I think it's fine, uh, and not like the dog in the apocalyptic fire fine. Like I think it's actually fine. I mean, I think he's still going to have a lot of time to do the resting and ramp up of the off season more than he had last year when the wrist surgery kept him off the court until basically the season was starting. Um, And I don't know. I I just think I would rather them just say, you know what, this can help. Let's do it. Let's sideline him early and and get the knee as right as we can with a procedure. And then we can ramp up starting in July and be sure he's ready versus, oh, you know, wait to get it, wait to get it. Suddenly it has to happen in August. You know, if it's got to happen, I'm glad that it was – it was a situation where they could just do it and feel good about having it done and then proceed with the rehab from there. And, and I'm sure some rest as well with, again, the long summer. And it sounds like Team USA is going a lot younger. So even if he was potentially going to be healthy for the FIBA World Cup, doesn't really seem like that would be on the table for Chris either way. So sure seems like he'll be off until Bucks training camp, which is fine by me. I think will be fine by Chris as well. And clearly it's something that the Bucks were on board with because he's, you know factoring in their coaching decisions in, in a way that no other player besides Giannis is, despite potentially hitting free agency, as we'll get to some other reports on other players later. All the reporting is like, yeah, he's going to be back there again. The other teams are are pretty much snuff, sniffed around and found that out. So it seems like player and team are on the same page. And I would not say this is ideal, but I don't think it's, it's a huge negative. And of course... When the news first comes out, there's this whole, whole uh, "got to get rid of him." He's he's always injured. He's done. It has been a tough couple of years for Chris. You can't you can't sugarcoat that too much. Outside of the knee thing, I think it's been largely fluky. And I would much rather bet on a Chris bounce back season than try to flip him, or certainly than to let him walk.
3: Yeah, I mean, where I'm at is that it didn't seem like that much of of a surprise. Serious comments of like you know, dating back to I think it was like January, December, when he was gone for however many games it was, like nearly 20 games. And he talked about how his injury that he was dealing with at the time required off season level length of of rehabilitating, trying to get back to full full health and all that stuff. And so it's just been kind of this stop and start, stop and start and You know, considering everything that we knew and kind of came to um, understand with his injury and just his, you know, recovery and just, I don't know, maintenance, um, still played as good as you could have expected, even with how the playoffs ended. But I do share some of Adam's, you know, concern of just like, you know, once you start opening up your body for surgery and stuff like that, it... It can go really fast, and it's not like I, I don't think this is a case of like you know we you you see like you know players undergo career-ending injuries and stuff like that. This is different. This is just like it just slips little by little by little, and.
2: Almost Jordan body part by body part by body part in his case, which is kind of. Yes. It's not like Chris has a chronic knee problem or chronic wrist problem, but he's kind of collecting, you know, a set of surgeries in a whole variety of ways where there's a lot of little things that you can see how they're going to kind of be. There are going to be things that he could kind of pick up niggly injuries as he goes on. Like this could aggravate him over time, or that he could aggravate them quite easily. It's not just the one thing. It's not just like oh, Chris's knee is good and that's fine. I think that's it's the cumulative effect for me, rather than oh, he's he's got to have surgery.
3: Yeah, that that's the thing is that it's it and it's really like Ty, you mentioned like this is our what, third kind of Chris Middleton injury update in the last 14 months, right? Basically since that Bulls um, uh, playoff series where he, you know, uh, slipped and missed the rest of the playoffs against the Bulls and Celtics. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know. I am still very optimistic that the timing of everything like this and just, you know, at this point, I think it's, you know, it obviously is to... Preserve and maintain what he can do. And we'll see how he responds, everything, what he looks like near the start of the season, stuff like that. But it's still overall not great that these things are starting to pile up, even if they are just small things, because that can eventually, as a snowball effect, can make a bigger thing. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think, if anything, I'm whelmed (laughs) by the fact that this is coming very, reasonably early in the off season, so he does have some time ramping up because that is such a key part of you know his kind of recovery and he mentioned that as much as anyone else so I guess that's something that we could take comfort in but overall it is just like it it sucks that we're another Christmas update is revolved around his long-term health and all that stuff
1: yeah I mean I don't think it it changes much about the outlook but, um, you know, again, do I am I glad that we that Chris is getting a surgery? No, I just think that it, it seems, I guess, logical. Um, the exact qu- quote from Chris, Eric Name shared it in the news piece about the surgery. Uh, from mid-January was, quote, I mean, it's nothing too crazy. It's just kind of what I've dealt with every summer, ramping back up for the season, just getting my knee back accustomed to running, jumping, the force, the contact after being off for a long period of time. I know it's kind of vague, but the truth of it is that's all it was, just the swelling and all of that. We couldn't get it to go away. My leg wasn't strong enough or conditioned enough to withstand it, end quote. My take on Chris, and I think that's why the timing of it and being back in action by July is not as concerning to me. I just think this whole season was a mess for him because of the lack of ramp-up, and he made that clear. And the fact that this won't interfere with that, or at least shouldn't, is somewhat encouraging. Um, I, I don't know how to, like the, to contextualize the other Chris injury stuff because I, I feel like outside of the right knee, which, again, it seems like has been an issue for him forever— the other stuff just kinda seems random and it doesn't seem You're right. to recur yeah. as much. I mean it was I mean the hamstring a long time ago, the left knee MCL Flip,
2: slip on a wet spot. A like wet spot. it doesn't get more more random than that for your hamstring. Well then the wrist injury
1: as well that he kinda played through and, and the surgery that put him out this past offseason that we didn't even know about. So I think I'd be more concerned overall with Chris injury if it was like, oh, there's that wrist again. Oh, it's that hammy acting up again. They've been kind of one-off so far outside of this right knee. So my hope is the optimist scenario is the surgery and the ramp up keeps that more in check. And, you know, don't slip. Like that's, that's, that's all you can really hope for, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it, it's certainly been tough. But I, I, again, I just don't think this has changed my outlook that much on Chris. Still very much in favor of keeping him. And uh, it seems like the Bucks will. So that, that should be a good thing.
2: I guess the only way it factors in different, he thought to me, is that he's going to be 32 before the season starts. Yeah. And that is where, again, you're 100% right. There have been lots of kind of random injuries in his career, but I just worry about, as we get into these later years of his career, then if it's a case that, well, his wrist isn't quite a hundred percent, his knee isn't quite a hundred percent, his hamstring's not quite a hundred percent because of just, what is, you know, they're the battle scars of life in the NBA. Like it's part and parcel, but it we can take it and we are taking it on both sides. You could just say it's great. It's not just the one thing we're talking about. But I do wonder, do we see just kind of multiple different things lead to a a slightly accelerated decline or slowdown with him? That doesn't mean that's this year. But if I think as you are expecting, he is going to return with the books on a multi-year deal. Something like this, while the timing is good now and hopefully it's all clear and he has a great season next year, I do think it factors into projecting forward for what's left for Chris and what's left for the books with Chris. And as we well know, the books current window of contention is very likely tied to someone like Chris Middleton because the route to extending it is not very straightforward and even less so if he is going to be a player who is going to have injury concerns or if there is going to be a steep decline at some point that will only grow more challenging so I, I think we're we're on the same page and probably as usual you see a bit more of the sunny side tie. but I, I think I, it's it's really just that he's now, he's about to be 32 and when you see multiple different things it's like well, are we going to have three to four elements that aren't going to be just quite right at a time, as opposed to when he was younger and maybe it was one? And we always hear, you know, no one's ever a hundred percent in the NBA, but I wonder if Chris's hundred percent is now getting closer to maybe an eighty percent, if that makes sense.
3: Well, just how long can you sustain it? Yeah, you know I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the thing is that you know this era of, the, of Bucks basketball is strictly defined by three months, and they come. They proceed eight months of preseason training camp, or not in that order, but preseason training camp, regular season. That's just a lot. That is a lot of stuff. And now you just add in little disruption disruptions, whether it's surgery or just clean up and whatever you want to call it. Like for an older team, this is how things can kind of just start to slip away. And again, you know, to your point, it's why Chris, every time, we talk about his negotiations and people just, you know, just want to let him walk. And yeah, he's not worth this much money and all that stuff. But it's like there's no that's a keep repeating this point. But it has to be said considering this keeps coming up for whatever damn reason. But he means so much to the bucks. And I know Giannis is the uh straw that stirs the drink and stuff like that, but Chris Middleton is as big of a reason for why the Bucks are title winners of two years ago. He took them very far uh, to the pinnacle and did everything that we saw at times and just wanted to see at the right time. And now it's just about sustaining or just the longevity of of trying to see someone as great as Chris Middleton is keep doing that (laughs) as long as the season's going to be because we're not going to be wanting to talk about this in April. We're going to want to be talking about this in May and June and all that stuff that, you know, obviously the Bucks are hoping for, even with, uh, you know, the new coaching chains and stuff like that. So
1: yeah, it's, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think the other interesting part of this and, and it, we've, we've touched on it a couple of times is the, the contract status too. I mean, it seems both parties are aligned on Chris staying in Milwaukee. Clearly they, you know, neither or both weren't excited enough to get that done before the season, which they could have via extension. I think it makes a lot of sense for certainly the Bucks more to wait on that and see how the season played out. It does make you wonder how is, it, assuming they get it done, how does that look? And it feels like the two options are, Shorter and for more money. I mean, obviously the, the nuclear option, not nuclear, but, you know, the one firm option right now is the player option, which is one, year's 40, one year 40 million. That seems like maybe the shortest term thing. Um, I, I don't think Chris would sign a one year deal for less. I don't think the Bucks would give him a one year deal for more. But they could get creative here. I mean, where Chris Paul's contract is is in headlines right now for, you know, all the options Phoenix has given the way it ends. That's an option for the Bucks too. I mean, they can start year one up to basically the maximum salary. I, I don't think they would. They could. They can go down. They can go up year over year. Some can be guaranteed. Some cannot. You know, they have the ability, if they want, to give them a set number over five years to do that. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. I mean, clearly none of this is – sort. I mean – what they can do, uh, you can source me on what what will actually happen. Please don't. I have no idea. I don't think anyone has any idea what the Bucks will do uh, ever really. But I, I don't know. It's just going to be interesting to see. I mean, Chris obviously deserves a, a lot of money. He's still an elite player when he plays, and he still plays most of the games, even if he didn't this this past season. Uh, I think overall, he's he's been healthy enough. Clearly, he was in twenty one. Um, but I don't. It's going to be interesting to see, and I do think we may see something different than just, uh, you know, it's not going to be like, here's your max again, Chris. It's not going to be that, I don't think. Um, It'll be fascinating to see how they solve it. Same with Brook Lopez, who we'll talk about in a second. But, you know, they could give him $100 million without it being an unseemly cap hit in any given year, which I think is going to be interesting for both sides as something to talk about in negotiations.
2: I think the obvious thing both with his age and with the book situation no real read into if this would be of interest or beneficial to Chris I think Chris should probably try to lock in as many years as he can as much money as he can at this point I think a 2 plus 1 and maybe at a pretty hefty price is maybe the way to go that would also align with Janos's timeline then as well for when he could next be a free agent and as much as I would like to go that way and think too much about that the books have to, they have to, one, give themselves options with that because if that goes down to the wire and Giannis ends up staying, you may need to freshen up and you might need the money to come off and a younger player to somehow, a lot of things would have to happen, but potentially to come into the mix at that point. But even beyond that, if the worst case was to happen, you would want the clean break. And just being able to start from scratch at that point would be what you'd really need to do and the books would have a tough road back but having chris middleton say for five years if they went with a five-year contract of some sort and maybe at a lower price i i don't know if five years from now possibly three years beyond Giannis, you know if things were to go poorly would be all that beneficial to the books to have him locked in It was certainly for Chris. So that's kind of part of what I'm interested in too. And I wonder what way all of the injuries factor into that as well, as in what exactly Chris is going to compromise on, where I'm going to assume that very high priority for him is just wanting the same Milwaukee, where he's been most of his career and where his family are settled and things like that too. But like where does all of that kind of pan out in his decisions or in the shape of his career? And then the other part of this too, like – we've heard drew holiday talk about when he wants to retire another factor to consider in that, but also that's a little bit earlier. than You might associate with some players. Chris could be a guy where we learn. He has his own view of, you know what? I think at 34, I'll be done. I think at 35, I'll be done. I'm not someone who wants to still be playing at 38 years old. We haven't, we don't really have any sense of that, but this is the kind of point in guys careers where we might start to learn that. So, they can get creative and they can get creative with the money, but it's really, I think, the years are the most crucial thing. If they want to spend an incredible amount of money and it's it's front-loaded over a pretty short deal, go for it. I mean, that's, that's what you're left to play with really anyway. It's kind of, you are going to be riding this out to some extent. I have no issue with that. Um, it'll just be interesting to see if the books can get something that From our vantage point, we could say immediately, okay, well, it makes sense. And the outs are there, whether it's that they're going to have to upgrade or rework things out, or if it ends up being a situation where everything is being torn down and they're starting from scratch. Because we're getting to the point where it will always be those two options. It's actually the middle ground is going to be increasingly difficult for the books. It's like, if this works out, and even you go through a next cycle, next deals for guys, it's going to be at a place where the books are like, do we just keep all in? or is it time to pull the plug completely and obviously we know what will determine that decision but i, I think that's the interesting part of where they go with years
1: and to be clear at year 4 or 5 on that isn't isn't for the bucks i mean the, the the benefit of that structure for the bucks is 18 20 million less cap hit like you know if chris says listen you want to give me 100 million over 3 years or over 5 years i'll take either that second apron is looming and if Chris is on a much lower annual figure for the next 2 3 years that does a lot in terms of keeping you under that that those there's restrict there's very restrictive punitive things about going there which even include draft picks for later and i think if you can stay under that second apron more it might net out as better even in the worst case scenario where you know things are blown up in 3 years if you're paying chris 40 million over 2 and you know chris is in his mid late 30s at that point he's not that good but you dodge the second apron and you keep some draft picks that would be by default the worst pick in the draft because of that second apron rule. It's still probably worth it. And of course, you know, can you keep an MLE in some of these years and have that five million dollar contract to spend versus if you go over the certain apron, you don't get that anymore. You know, I think th- those are all factors. So it, it, I'm not saying like. In 2026, we'd be like, "Wow, really glad Chris Middleton is making 25 million or 20 million or whatever." It's more about these next few years still, and I think the other sell of that to Chris would be, you know, hey, you realize we need to pivot younger. If you're on a reasonable amount for this many years, though, I think it's it's cleaner to somehow be able to keep Chris in that pivot and have him be on the team. But I, I don't know if he wants to take an annual salary that is half of what his player option is, which is what that what that. Basically is. We'll see. Um, I thought the Al Horford deal was surprising. It looks pretty good for him right now. But, you know, guys guys have their priorities, and it's hard to figure out what they're going to be before we actually see the contract inked.
3: Out-out date is June 30th,
1: correct? Might even be earlier. June 21st.
3: June 21st. So, so we we'll know in nine days. In,
1: yeah. That's earlier. Yeah.
3: Because we're already seeing option dates come in, or option Decisions come in with Fred VanVleet making a decision on his option. So yeah, yeah. this will soon very or we'll know very soon um, what direction this all can lead towards, and whether you know, I don't. I I would be very shocked if Chris leaves.
1: Yeah, uh, I, and I, the opt won't tell us either way. No. Yeah, exactly. He could opt into the one-year deal and they could extend and it could be longer, which is exactly what Pat Cunningham did last offseason. So, yeah. you know, we won't have – that That won't be the whole thing. It'll just give us some info on what they may be planning to do.
2: I, I think if he ends up leaving, something has gone catastrophically wrong in negotiations like the last yeah.
3: stage. Oh, clearly, yeah.
2: I, I, I can't see any, any other route to that. I don't think he's probably even in a place now where he's thinking, yeah, well – I'll see what else is out there too, or I just it doesn't it doesn't seem logically like that's the path. So I think if it goes wrong, it's gone really wrong if he ends up elsewhere. Yeah.
1: So another free agent, and let me just pull this up now. The projected practical cap space for every team. Not many teams will have it, and this, of course, is a big deal for for all of these conversations because unless the Bucks are helping another team over the cap with a sign and trade. You know, is Chris or the player we're going to talk about now, Brooke Lopez, going to go to Houston, Utah, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, Detroit, Indiana? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, if they're going to give Brooke Lopez $200 million or something, maybe. I I, I don't know if we'll see that happening. But the reporting, and the, the one I've seen is from Kelly Ico of The Athletic. I think there's – I was looking in Jake Fisher's stuff because I thought there was one there too, but I haven't seen it recent. I haven't couldn't find it when I was looking for this pod. But – very plainly, Kelly states, quote, Brooke Lopez is a free agent Houston likes. And the the difficult thing here is Houston is the cap space boogeyman this offseason. I mean, their cap space isn't even practical. Like they have $47 million right now before they even do anything. And like that's before renouncing players or, you know, sometimes you can cut people. They're going to have like $60 million. So they are the team... That is like the boogeyman of oh they they you know every free agent gets rumored there to make sure they get their money. It makes sense. Sounds like they really do like Brooke Lopez though. All the reporting around Houston is that you know they're not trying to do this rebuild thing, right? Like they're not they're not happy with the the kids. They want James Harden. Apparently they're gonna get him. They want more vets. They might trade Jalen Green for a more established player. Um, so they it, it adds up that they would want him. And I think what makes this more interesting is. Adrian Griffin and his presser, which you guys talked about last week, talked about defensively. They want to be more aggressive on the ball. They want to adapt more. And, I, and he also shouted out Brooke Lopez is a great core player. Uh, you know, It wasn't like a, something that was specifically anti-Brook Lopez, that sentiment. It's also not pro-Brook Lopez to suggest they're going to be more aggressive going after the ball and adjust more because there's only so many coverages that you can have a seven-foot behemoth playing on the floor, especially in the modern NBA, when adjust more often means switch more. So I think it's interesting. I think it's worth talking about. I still think Brooke will end up a buck, but I, I'm 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 worried. Where are you guys at?
2: I mean, from a book's perspective, I, I regardless, it, it's feeding into the same way we were speaking about Chris and just the. The way that contracts are and the way that the books cap situation restricts them and limits their ability to strengthen through various other tools that will be other teams around in the league's disposal. So if the books lose Brook Lopez, they're in big trouble, even if Brook Lopez is going to be somewhat de-emphasized. And I know how weird that sounds. I know how counterproductive that sounds because you're going to have to pay him and pay him pretty well. I'm sure if he's going to stay. But Adrian Griffin can have his preferences. If the books still want to build the best roster possible, they're going to have to pay Brooke Lopez to have him as an option, even if his role ends up reduced, uh, even if we see less of him in clutch situations, even if we see a lot of smaller sets. I think the one thing that would be obvious with the way Griffin is talking is if we just see Giannis really implemented as a center and in much more aggressive defensive configurations than we've ever seen before i think part of the problem here for the books too they they really could and should be like i've been i've been complaining about this for years of what's the Brook succession plan and i i mean we ended up in the best possible place because brook has been so good last season that we're not reaching the place where it's actually oh well he's he's washed they need someone else we're back in a place where it's like, oh, he's still really good. Someone else might manage to take him from the books. Bobby Portis is not the answer at all. He's not the answer for what they were doing defensively. He's not going to be the answer for what they are doing defensively. And I think that puts the books in a really, really tough spot as well, because it's not like they could completely change Janice's role and rework things and be like, look, we feel good on that because Bobby is there as kind of, an alternating piece depending what lineups we go through. And we feel just as confident in that. I think at this point, what we've seen over the years, that's just not the case. And we know what Bobby can bring at his best, but Bobby at his best is not going to solve the problems that would be created by one losing Brooke Lopez or by switching to a scheme in the mold of what Adrian Griffin seems like he might want to do. So I don't know if I'm worried. I mean, the Houston thing has been significant. I've rumbled on for a couple of months now where I'm not going to just say, oh, it's not real at all. I, I don't know if I'm worried about the buzz as much as I am just the general prospect of, yeah, if the books are to lose, we're Lopez, it's catastrophic. But if, it, like, the Rockets too, and as you said, you talked about Harden. If you're going all out and you're getting Harden you don't want to rebuild, what, what does a... James Harden Brooke Lopez splashy free agency do for you you miss the playoffs in the west I mean unless you've got a whole lot more going on or you've got bigger plans that you're going to hook up somewhere else it doesn't really do a whole lot with that and even when you run through the wider list of teams with cap space too it's like well some of those jump out as pretty obvious places where Brooke Lopez probably isn't going to go uh, san antonio for example i think i think they're gonna have different plans for what their front court is gonna look like over the, the course of the next season and many more to come after that um so i'm concerned just in the general sense because i think it's a really tough one for the books to work out a center rotation if brooke walks regardless of what kind of plan might be in place for whether they're continuing with drop, whether they're going to switch more, whether they're going to be much more aggressive, whether they're going to play smaller. If you want to have options there that are going to win you a lot of basketball games, and make you the best team possible, your best path to doing that is with Brooke remaining on the books, regardless of what else you might pull off. Maybe there's a creative solution where Brooke moves on and you find other ways to do things. It's kind of tough to envision it though. You'd have to be, You'd have to be in the reeds making it, and maybe John Horst will find that and that works out. But right now, that's kind of difficult to imagine.
3: Two words leverage ploy. I wasn't confident on the second one. That's what I think of any Houston Rock. There's been, just to go through a list of names that have been associated with the. They're very ambitious, Jordan. Very ambitious. Have the most cash base, as you mentioned. Uh, Brick Lopez, James Harden, Kyrie Irving's name is not, he's associated with them. As much as there's been a lot of whispers about him being content in Dallas and even wanting LeBron James to get traded there.
1: Yeah, LeBron, Um, just just get bought out, LeBron. Just go do that. That's totally normal for a player of your stature um who else i saw other austin
3: reeves i saw austin mm. Reeves, the the boy wonder um just on and on and on the fred Van vliet, thing i think
1: fred van vliet i believe is yes was another name he's been an orlando the, guy too orlando is the team i didn't mention they could get 20 million that's terrifying because if there's one because team bro- brooke brook would play i like for that him. yeah yeah
0: but they have wendell carter
1: jr so we're gonna hope that they don't that they don't dump wendell to sign brooke lopez you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on the old man. And the three make this your companion podcast during the playoffs, listen to the old man and the three ad free on Wondery plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: All I would say is if you have the most cast space, you're going to be automatically, um, Associate with any free agent that wants a top dollar contract. It's just that simple. Um that said, I do think the coaching change, and given how much of a priority Rick's role was within the foundation of the Bucks under Bud was so um essential to operating defensively, uh specifically. But Obviously, he had more use than just, you know, being a seven-foot paint protector that was easily the best in the league for the last five years. Um it it is interesting to see how Adrian Griffin and his staff will, I guess, what are their what is the has their input been on how they can do some different things without you know reinventing the wheel? Does that include Brooke Lopez coming back and therefore? How does that change contract discussions and all that stuff? So it's like these little ripple effects of because they have made the decision to move on from Bud and hire Adrian Griffin and just, you know, new coach. And obviously his expertise is on that side of the ball. So it there's even more of a magnifying glass and just, you know, what he values. Because, again, Brooke Lopez is the core of what the Bucks have done defensively for the last five years. Um. It is very interesting to just see how that will affect everything. On top of all the other, you know, questions of you know he's age thirty five, coming off arguably the best season of his career, you know, as a role player, not just the the Brook Lopez low post scoring machine back day back to the Brooklyn Nets Um, I don't know. I I I still feel confident. I don't feel as confident as the Chris decision. Just because I think, you know, clearly Brook has more agency in what he could do because he is a free agent uh, flat out at the moment.
2: Um, I think he's he's more desirable too, honestly. I mean, I think it's it's somewhat less complicated. I could be proven wrong on that depending on what his ask is contract-wise. But I think coming off the season, he's just had. And it it's kind of look, the league has pivoted back to legitimate size and centers being important because you've got so many stars who are centers. And that maybe even if you're, uh, I don't know, if your team, say, that has to play to Denver Nuggets quite a lot, you might be like, yeah, it'd be great to have a really, a really accomplished defensive big body or whatever that might be. Like, I think that makes them slightly more appealing too, which is, is kind of a key difference there because he'll be expensive, I think in a relative sense, but he's not he's not gonna to be top line expensive. It's not like you're gonna to have to be betting everything on Brook Lopez necessarily in a way you would be with Chris.
3: Yeah. I mean, does he ultimately make what is what was Al Horford's extension? It was like maybe eleven million dollars. It was really, yeah, it was very low. Something like that, which is not that dissimilar to what Brooke is already making. That's a step down, but it could easily fall in that range. I do think that is your point of the team I mean, I think I even saw something the other day of teams are kind of coming back around and we're seeing why size matters yeah. in the playoffs. So and even AJ Griffin, his team, they they didn't have a center for good chunk of last year. They make the trade for Jakob Pertl. and you know, it didn't really amount to anything meaningful, that's, but like
2: that's kind of something I've been thinking about with that too. It's like if the books were to lose brook or actively decide to move on they would start to look very raptorsy but in the configuration of the raptors which has never quite worked because they've been missing a piece like yeah. it, it's worth for for everything else that we might even try to project from the system that adrian griffin has most recently been a part of and the ultimate success yeah when they won the championship they Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka. In two centers. Like, yeah.
3: Kawhi Letters really are three, of these the has the longest arms on the face of the earth. It's can can I ask you
2: about a, que- a question too? Because there's this is tough to to really kind of nail down our parse without knowing. Okay, if Brooke was gone, what would be the solution to replace it? Well, where is your confidence at in the in the books, like? Collectively as a defensive team, if Brook was somewhat out of the equation,
1: um, they need to find. Uh, they need to. It's. They'd have to go get someone else who can play a defense as a big.
2: I, I, I think kind of feel like, like I, don't know, they,
3: I don't know if it's a big. I think it's more.
2: They the need. They need more from. I feel multiple spots because. Yeah. It's like the. Brooke's part, along with Giannis, I mean, obviously in terms of size, they can cover off multiple positions and they can cover up mistakes made elsewhere. And I guess you could put Drew's defensive ability into that too. He just feels like such an essential cog of the defense. And like separate from scheme that I worry that all of our collective idea of the Bucks as a defensive team, we could find to be very overrated honestly if they didn't manage to find a couple of really strong defensive pieces really solid players that would slot in and then further kind of consolidate what you expect to get from Giannis and drew
1: yeah i think i think you i think you'd need another center it just wouldn't be someone as important as brooke was but i think you still want that configuration you don't want to not be able to drop against big teams and have a big body for big guys as you mentioned jordan i mean. Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid in the conference. Like, you can't – you don't just want to put Giannis on them to start. I don't think that's a good idea, especially in the regular season. So, you know, you need to find just, like, a, a center who's probably – you know, there's there's a lot of solid defensive centers, probably someone like that who's, like, your game starter. Uh, I think Kevon Looney's quite good, but, like, kind of similar to the, how do the Warriors do it where he's probably not yeah. closing games. But, you know, he's going to start and do a bunch of dirty work for you. And then you'd need a wing, and that would be the more the – more, but I think that was what you'd put more resources in. You'd need another defensive wing. And, you know, do you try Jay Crowder out again? I don't know. Didn't go well. They have his bird rights, so it's much more attainable. But
3: I, I know. I was laughing at Adams. Oh, God. But is it? I, I, ju- mean, I
2: just. I, I mean, the thing. He had look, a very it's, good
1: it's, season it's... until the playoffs. He looked very good. Yeah,
2: and what happened the second the season finished? I mean, I, I don't, I know it's I not what he's doing on purposes. the card. I don't, I don't really have much interest in that guy.
1: Listen, I, I'm not, I'm not, if, if, if it wasn't for the bird rights, I would have less. But it's kind of like a free thing. It's not free because it costs money, but, you know, I, I don't know. You don't have to trade for him, you don't have to hope he takes Vettman.
2: Like he, he just he sucked. He was terrible. Yeah. He was really bad. If he was better, he would have found his purpose pretty quickly. I agree. And yeah. he came out. He came out and played the blame game the second the season finished. And at that point, I'm just like, yeah, go play elsewhere. Like I just, I, I don't care for it. I, I don't see that as the pad. Uh, it's not about like. It's not like he's a nothing player. That he's not capable of being good, but. The books gave him a chance to be good. He would have had a much, much more significant chance if he showed anything at all. He was so, so bad. So the fact that, particularly given how the situation has evolved in Phoenix and you could go to previous stops too, that this, this, like the season had just finished. It's just over and he's out playing the blame game. Well, he said he wants to come
1: back like, too. It's not like yeah. he totally torched the orc. That's
3: that's I great. Think
1: he, sure he, I think
3: he felt very comfortable to say all of the things that he did, yeah, knowing what the outcome was likely going to be. I think that's probably true. Yeah.
2: I, I just still think it's it's on him. <laughs> I yeah, mean, we could, we not, could listen, pick, we not, pick a lot of holes on. in the coaching that went wrong. I, I don't see where the Jay Crowder issues were other than he missed all of the shots when he was out there and his defense didn't look very good his at defense all. Is terrible. And you're just, yeah. you're not playable. So, great, you didn't know your purpose. None of us did either. We were like, what the hell was his purpose? Where'd they trade him?" <laughs> so, just miss me when I'm coming back. I, I, I get, again, I'm always the first person to be like, this is so tough for the books to build a winning roster, the best possible roster, because of where they are in a salary sense, that I'm always really reluctant to see them part with, players that they've already spent the capital on that they're there and you have the option to re-sign them if they ultimately do it i'll i'm sure i'll just say fine and we'll see but it will purely be because of the salary elements i mean i there's i don't think there's a good basketball reason based on what he gave you to be like yeah let's bring you back and let's pay you Which there's also the part of it, yeah, it gets easier. You can keep him and you can pay him his next deal. But as you alluded to earlier, the books have greater incentives than ever before to really manage their spending, which is going to be very high, but they've got to rein it in to some extent. If you're going to say goodbye to someone that you could be keeping, I think he's made himself the prime candidate to go, and I'm perfectly fine with that. If he showed anything, if he was remotely good... We'd all been but, like, "Why well, isn't Jay Crowder playing? Let's bring Jay Crowder back. He didn't do any of that. So that's why he should be he on the show. But
1: he for. did before the playoffs. It's like 40 total minutes. It's an extremely small sample. I, I thought Grayson looked a lot better after looking, I think, equally as unplayable at times the previous postseason. Thrown in midseason. I, rotation probably too big.
2: This is not Grayson though. This is this is a guy who's super experienced, who's been to the finals, he's been around the block. This isn't Grayson was was the not by super low, but you were betting on a young guy with a lot of room to develop. You're gonna put him in a bigger situation than he's been in before. And so that's a move you make with long-term planning in place. Um <laughs> I, I think that's probably the opposite of the Crowder deal because every time the books have made a move like that for one of those players with all those second round picks, they have never kept them for a second season. I think yeah. if you're doing it now, I'm really going to be, I, I don't know if the right lessons are being learned from what's happened from, for example, PJ Tucker not sticking around or whatever that might be. Um, I I don't even think the value is there that would have been there when it was Nikola Miritich. You know how I feel about Nikola Miritich, but just in terms of age profile and where he was at in his career, if the books have been like, and there were some reports, which I mm, don't know if I believe because I found them puzzling at the time, but that the books were interested in retaining him when he went back to Europe. In this case, though, I just think we're talking about an older player, a player who his exit from Phoenix on a good team was very, very weird. And then you come and you get your fresh start. And this is what comes from it. And then the season ends and you're talking like that. And then all of a sudden, what? Let's give him more money and let's give him multiple years and have him back. Not for me, but we'll see. I, I, it's, I it's an option that's on the table because there's so few options on the table. Like, I get it.
3: Yeah, that's where I'm at. I mean... The ultimate thing for me is that I do think the Bucks just need another three, four kind of guy like that. That you uh-huh. know, you want Jay Crowder, but Jay, what Jay Crowder could give you in a good year.
1: <laughs> that's, well, basically that's why, where, I, yeah, go
3: ahead. Well, I was that's basically where if they make any defensive changes in terms of just their operating structure and system and everything like that, like it's getting younger, it's getting more athletic, yeah. Really. Like that is the thing is like Jay Crowder. Not, he's getting up there in age two and has played a lot of minutes, has bounced around. And, you know, I don't, this is probably going to be mean of me to say it, but there's a reason why he's always been kind of a placeholder for teams where they have gotten better options after he left or traded them or whatever. So he's always, he's a good player. Robert Covington is the same kind of guy where he's always been good contract. We're going to move you four times over the course of it, you know, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I just think that overall positional profile that the Bucks just really haven't locked down is just that kind of three four kind of guy that's super athletic. We're seeing what like Aaron Gordon's doing this year in the in the finals and just how he's thrived. Aaron, uh, Aaron Gordon type player is not out there for the Bucks at all, but it's it just it's shows because you,
2: it's because you have to draft them. Are there? really expensive, which is why Robert Covington and Jay Crowder, there's always yes. a market for them.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, I somehow Bucks, Jordan – Buck's drafted an athletic wing. Not that big, but we'll see.
2: No, not that, not that big, but somehow Jordan, I don't think that we're going to be getting followed and unfollowed on Twitter in the aftermath of this game. <laughs> I
1: don't think yeah. so either. He might be listening though. <laughs> but my, my thing – and using the Nuggets as, as the reasoning, I, I, I'm not saying – you keep Jay Crowder and then you're good on the wing. I'm saying you keep Jay Crowder and then add another wing because that's what Denver did. Denver just kept adding wing players until they had a bunch. And I mean, you can say they added younger wing players, but Bruce Brown might as well be 37. They're not going to be able to keep him. They, they, they can't pay him. So he's going to go get paid somewhere after this year. I mean, I, I think, you know, they have Jeff Green over there who again is an older player and is not one of their main players, but they just have so many wings. That's every time I watch Denver, I go, oh my God, they have so many wings. The Bucks kind of got there. Uh, they're not clearly didn't have enough really good ones, right? And we saw in the playoffs. But I, I think you keep Crowder and then you try and add the younger, more athletic player too, and just have the options. I'm not going to cry if if he just walks. Or, I mean, if they can sign and trade him, that totally works. You can do that and get a second round pick or something. Sure, why not? Then you're only minus four on the whole thing. But uh, I just see it as being a logical idea because we all agree they need wings. They need to find more playable wing players, however they can. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see. On this whole conversation, we're wholly off the rails now. I've seen some, they should consider trading Pat and or Grayson to uh, to get younger, get more flexible, get more athletic. I think there's a player on a mid-tier salary the Bucks could trade to do those things that it's not either of those players, uh, considering those are two players who played well at the wing in the playoffs. I don't really want to dump either of them. I mean, Pat's not a spring chicken, but played his best ball in the playoffs. I thought Grayson played pretty well in the playoffs. He's younger. I think you look at Bobby Portis and putting together everything we've talked about in this entire podcast so far, It's not really a wing player. Is younger, not the most athletic, cannot be the center. We saw this. We know this, right? When Brooke was out, he just can't do it. Cannot really be the four next to the, honest to the five either. And I think the difficult thing for Bobby is... I think he's a hell of a player. I think he is a good basketball player. The what what the Bucks need is not something he provides. And I just think the fit is so clunky. And even someone like Brook, where the fit is not perfect. Like if Brooke was, you know, the same age, the same skill level, but he, like he was PJ Tucker instead. But like right, like shot better, like a little younger. That like that works better. Cause I do think Apex Bucks is probably still, like in an ideal world, at the end of the game, Giannis is at the five. And you have a guard and three wings, and you switch everything, and they shoot and they pass. Like that's probably it. And I thought
2: it ever existed though. No, uh, no. I I agree, I agree, but also we could get there and really find out that that's well, not Apex. It
1: kind of did when they had PJ. I, yeah, oh, it I this? Guess have, that's the having closest. both modes, having both modes, really is. But I think. More often than not at the end of those series, it was PJ and Giannis four or five, and they they were just there was nothing you could do defensively. Like they rebounded well enough because of PJ. They defended all positions, like there was really no holes, even with Chris at that time, even not being a great defender anymore. Um, but Brooke is still good enough of a fit and still it still fits cleanly enough in the big configurations and is still good enough to where we're all like, yeah, they should bring him back. He's that good. Bobby is less good and worse of a fit. And, and I just think as much as it pains me, as much as he's embraced Milwaukee, you know, I would be I think it just makes more sense for him to be the guy that gets traded. If whether, you know, we need to replenish the draft capital make our next move, we need to not go into the second apron, whatever it is. You know, I wouldn't dump him for nothing, to be clear. I, I don't think that's a good idea ever. But if there's someone who has to go or get younger or get cheaper, I just think that's the guy that makes the most sense, even including the free agents right now. Um, you know, I'm would I say I'd rather have Jay Crowder on the team than Bobby Portis next year? No, but I I look God, at no. I but I do look at Bobby as closer to making sense as a guy who's not on the team than Pat or Grayson, who I think when push came to shove were good wing players, and you just don't want less of those.
2: I'm with you. I mean, I've been there. I've been there from when it was very very unpopular. I, I think the the issues that were always there with Bobby remain and we're coming off a season where offensively things were tougher for him. And the absolute peak of what he gave the books is in a lot of ways, tying into things that there was a two season spell where I think even just zooming out and looking at his career, there were some things that were definitely just possibly a little unsustainable and that's fine. I mean, this happens to players in their career and I'm very glad the books got to be the team to really get that out of Bobby and Bobby is forever a legend and a hero in Milwaukee as a result. But the things that were a concern before only become a greater concern when everyone else is getting older around them. And when you may be trying to get more flexible, Um, funnily enough, even though he was never the perfect player system wise, I feel like for Bud's books, I think the loss of Bud potentially opening up greater defensive changes hurts him even more because if if Brooke gets the emphasizer, if they were to lose Brooke, it, it kind of counterintuitively, I think, leaves Bobby in even more of a no man's land. So I am inclined to agree with you on that. I also like I think they may have to do more than just they mightn't just be like, okay, well, is it time to trade someone like Bobby, for example? But it could be I like what you're saying with Jay Crowder because someone probably likes him. I wonder, can you get a sign and trade out of Jay Crowder? And can are they the kind of the couple moves you pull that you get some picks back or you get a young player who is maybe a better fit, whether that's a younger, more athletic, three-four, or a younger, more athletic, switchable big, like between a couple of things like that? If you can do that, you can kind of reshape some of the the ideas that are at the core of well, who are the Milwaukee books, and give Adrian Griffin the flexibility to possibly do what he wants to do. Because otherwise that's going to be really tough. Because I think that's the other the other thing we've got to factor in here. We're talking about what makes sense and what the book's options are from roster construction, but we don't actually really have any understanding of what that constructed roster is going to look like on the floor anymore. And I, I think even we can talk about, you know, the comments about aggressive defense and I don't know. I'd take them with a pretty significant pitch of salt too, because it was all very surface level, as you'd expect from in, an introductory press conference. We're not getting the real kind of details, the kind of details that I'm sure Adrian Griffin laid out for the books front office and ownership in his interviews.
3: And a video board.
2: Yeah. That's key to him getting the job was you just want to work the board. I think that's something where it's difficult for us to project and we can easily say what makes sense. But they've hired Adrian Griffin. At some point, they've got to find a way to do something to give him the tools that are best suited to what he wants to do. So that is the thing that I I think could open up all sorts of possibilities and could leave us honestly really surprised in some way as this goes on because this is their guy. So his vision is something they've been sold on. I know he's talked about how good the team was and you want to build on that. But if there's anything even kind of like moderately different that he wants to do, books don't of the personnel for it, well, John Horst, you got to go support your guy. So they're going to have to find a way to go and do that and help him out. So that's kind of a wild card here where I think we can talk about what's logic from roster building and what we would have applied to these conversations over the last four to five years where we knew how the books were going to play that's kind of all out the window. It's the biggest variable in all of this. And it's the thing where maybe, maybe we're just left stunned by one or two things that we're like, well, how can they do that? Or why would they do that? And it might be something that whether it works or not, we'll only actually learn when we get to see an Adrian Griffin books team in reality and playing over the course of a
3: season. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of tier players that we're talking about now. Is that what is a new coach? How does how does AJ Griffin value them or you know see their path on this team and everything like that? Like that it, it's not it, the the paradigm has shifted from how it would be under Bud and everything like that. And it very well could be like, okay, we're gonna go with the same roster that we have largely from last year, and we are gonna get just have a new coach and then we'll figure out from there just to see how this how he can shape things differently. Um I don't think that would be an inspiring route. I don't think any real like outside of getting like a for sure like fire starter top whatever number player on the bucks, you know, a couple of months down the line or whatever it is at the start of the free agency or whatever. I don't think any part of the personnel decisions or anything like that would really leave us like, that is the ultimate way to go. That is where that beats them up even more or anything like that. Because frankly, like once we get past Giannis, Chris, and Drew, Brooke is kind of in his own class because he is a free agent. So it's a little bit different, but like, I don't know. I, I don't know how you rec- reckon with like, you have good ro- young or not young, but you have good wing players. You have good players that have learned how to play off of Giannis, have learned how to play with Chris and Drew for many years now, Um, have wanted to stay around. I mean, even wasn't Joe Ingles at Adrian Griffin's.
1: um He was.
3: That's not nothing for the time being. Um, I don't, I, I, I I don't know what they do with that of like, okay, we we feel like we have the tools to make a deep run. Um, It's just a matter of how can they fit a new guy's vision that clearly doesn't just want to play the same way that the Bucks have wanted to play. And I do believe a lot of it, it was, you know, it's reassuring to hear that things are going to be different, but it also... Was very just, you know, how it is every introductory press conference for a new head coach. It's like, we're going to play this way. We're going to play this the right way, blah, 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 blah. You know, we kind of just kind of get used to it the more we kind of see these things, but it won't be felt until honestly July 1st or any surprise movements that might happen over the next coming weeks and months that really influence just like how much of a team or how much this team will change, whether, you know, it's people moving or just how people are being used and how much that affects, you know, overall morale and everything like that.
2: I'd rework your tier slightly. I think there's one tier and it has Giannis in it. I think that's the point yeah, we're at with the books where, where like obviously there's always been a tier where Giannis is in on his own, but I do think now, like, I wouldn't leave Drew Holiday just because he's not a free agent out of any particular tier. Like, if the book's gonna make a deal that's gonna solve a lot of problems for them or make them younger or extend their window and it involves moving Drew Holiday, they're gonna move Drew Holiday. So I think anyone not named Giannis, it's all it's all up in the air. Like anything, anything could happen at this point. And maybe more so than we've ever experienced when the team were relevant and good. I, I think it's very tough for us to get a read on that, tough for anyone to get a read on that outside yeah. of the the four walls that that is the books organization.
1: Well, I think the interesting thing is, and and we won't um, won't probably go too much deeper right now because we still have coaching stuff to talk about. We're at an hour podcast, but you know, I think if Drew or Brooke is to move, I think it kind of necessitates shaking up basically the whole roster because, as we discussed with Brooke, there's a defensive equilibrium there, and I don't think like let's say even if they bring back Brook, I don't think you can trade Drew and just slot in. Let's just say Brad Beal. Let's not even hag whatever. Just assume one for one. Wizards have no reason to do that. Who cares? Then it's like, okay, your defense is Brad Beal. Let's just Grace Allen. You always starts. Grace Allen, Chris Middleton, Giannis Brooke. It's not a good one through three defensively. Like that's not – I don't think that's probably tenable for you. And Brad Beal is not really a point guard. Whatever. Put it aside, right? Like, you know, your personnel just becomes probably not defensive focused enough. So I kind of do think it's like make a lot of changes. Or make a little bit and then wait. I mean, I've outlined this before, but next draft, twenty twenty four, you could trade that pick to future first and Marjan. That just seems like such an a logical time for the Bucks to be like, this is our big swing to redo the supporting cast, like to put a player, two players next to Giannis who are similar in age, and then we can keep contending if we're still at a place where Giannis is bought in to do so. That is. Still a point that makes more sense than this summer, where you have one draft pick, you don't have one, you can trade on draft day, and you have Marjon, who's, you know, worth something. Probably less than a theoretical first, because teams like the, it's the mystery box fallacy. So, uh, we'll see. The second apron stuff impacts that 24 plan, too, which is super annoying. Uh, way to go, CJ McCollum. This is why Rohan hates you. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I, I do think that... Uh, that's actually not Rohan hates you for other reasons, but this is another <coughs> one. Um, it's I think I think it is possible there could be huge changes this summer too. I just still think it's probably more likely they wait a year, but who knows? I mean, it's it is a new coach. We don't know what his vision is. He said what he's going to say. On the other hand, I don't think there's any universe where the Bucks hire someone who would say, "Yeah, Chris and Drew aren't getting the job done, so we're gonna we're gonna flip them. We're gonna find new guys." Good luck, John. Figure it out.
2: Well, your what you're saying is completely logical. I guess my only counter would be, I don't know if the books can just be like, oh, we'll wait a year, and that's the time when we, when we play the next big chip. I, I just, I don't know if they have the kind of the extra year. Yeah. At this point, where well, yeah, it's there's the the urgency depending on what they feel and like the thing is obviously if you're doing that next year, it would be the last big move to be like, okay, well, here's. Here's Star X that we could potentially bring in and partner with Giannis. This is the new look books, and Giannis might already be like, eh, "Maybe it's time." Or if he's not, maybe you could push him over that line if you get that move wrong. So it, it's one where they don't have the luxury of it, but where you, if you were to do something like that you want to do it. I think having the bit of cushion, like having the two years, actually is yeah. is very much desirable. But they're look. There's an element of that which, again, they're in the tough spot. It's just, this is how you build a winner, and they haven't had draft picks hit in the kind of massive way that's going to save you from this. So in some areas, you're going to end up between a rock and a hard place. We'll see what they do to get out of it.
1: I think Indiana's got a couple late first. They really want to power forward. One last thing on, on trade I just think that's interesting. I just think that's...
2: I just, for the record, I don't want this pinned as some sort of you know, tied as a podcast with the win six guys, and look how it long it is. Be. Someone else brought Jay Crowder and all of that into this it's and spun this part of the conversation off. So I just, I just want to out there the record. We're That's not fair. who we used to be, right, Jordan?
3: That's true. We have, uh, we have people are getting leg lengthened surgeries. <laughs> We're cutting our own legs. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm re-lengthening about, like, them. I'm Isaiah Thomasing yeah. you. <laughs> we're just naturally aging. I think yeah. it is. we're just getting shorter. <laughs> um, Shrinking
1: our cor- corn cob bodies. Seb Numach, he's got a Gumby body. Uh, Eric Name of the <laughs> Athletic reported Nate Mitchell and DJ Backer will be joining the Griffin led coaching staff. He also reported Josh Oppenheimer, a honest guy, shouldn't really be surprising. And Vin Baker, which is fun, uh, will be retained from Bud's staff as well. So the new coaching staff that we know of. Is Adrian Griffin at the top? Terry Stotts, the offense guy, Joe Prunty, former Bucks assistant and standing. That head happens coach. Since, since we hadn't recorded, right?
2: All I right. think so. I think you guys, right, I think you'd yeah.
1: remember talking about Prunty if you had. We
2: didn't talk about Prunty or Patrick Matumbo. Patrick Matumbo,
1: no relation, I believe, by the way, to Dikembe. No, nope.
2: no relation from the same tribe, from the same part of Congo. So some some relation.
1: Yeah. But no direct no relation.
2: no no relation, and very yeah. he's very clear and very obvious on that. So,
1: um, and then now the, all the the four guys I just said, so a pretty deep bench already at this point. I mean, we've gotten a, a lot dudes. of coaches. I'm not going to try and do math live, but um, so if you're not familiar, ah. real quick, Prunty, former Bucks, I've been an assistant all over the place, former Bucks assistant was with Atlanta. I thought I don't know if you guys saw that I, I posted this somewhere. He brought the Jared Bayless game winner play to Atlanta and Adrian Griffin's son, A.J. Griffin, hit the the layup, which I thought was a fun, you know, maybe A.J. Griffin should get like a, a finder's fee for that one. And, hey, Dad, this guy knows how to draw up this one play. He's worth having. <laughs> uh, Patrick Matumbo was a Raptors assistant and was, was uh, a promising coach for the Raptors 905. Has kind of been viewed as like one of those, oh, he's... He'll have an NBA head coaching job someday, but not now, guy. For the last couple cycles, I think coached uh, Alex and Tantricupo. Yes, that's a, a good flag as well. Um, Nate Mitchell, and I'm getting some of this from Bucks Zone, uh, SI Bucks site. Matthew Duganzic, uh, Duganzic, probably. Sorry, wrote a, a good article summing up some of this. So uh, let me scroll. Mitchell who is expected to focus on player development in Milwaukee, started his coaching career with James Borrego's Hornets. Of course, the Bucks cannot quit James Borrego. They had to have some, <laughs> some tie there as well. Um, don't
3: want to quit you.
1: <laughs> they, they can't. They love that guy. Uh, Backer, or Baker, it's B-A-K-K-E-R, uh, was an assistant coach of Dwayne Casey's on the Pistons. He also was the head coach of the Motor City Cruise, the G League affiliate oh, for no. the Pistons, in 2021. So he has some experience there as well. A couple of younger coaches, I would say. So it's kind of, I think, a pretty good mix so far of the young up-and-comers. Um, Griffin talked a lot about creativity when he was uh, for his staff. I think that probably incom- and comprises some of that. And, of course, Prunty and certainly Stotts, who have been around for a long time and have more experience Uh, Vin Baker obviously brings a ton of player experience and and knows how to be a big guy, even though he hasn't been a coach for as long. And then Oppenheimer, kind of another uh, coach who's been around for a while and clearly has the connection with Giannis. So uh, a pretty diverse staff in terms of experience level, what they've done, um, which seems promising. I mean, we always said if it's going to be a rookie head coach, they need to have a strong staff. I, I think this is a pretty good staff to have around Adrian Griffin, to be honest. I've been pretty pretty impressed with the amount of names and the quality of names that they've brought in here.
2: Joe Prunty as maybe, in this case, the fourth seat on the bench. Like, that's that's pretty stacked. Um, I, I think you'd have to feel pretty good about that. I mean Prunty, obviously, he's had such a long career, and I'm sure there's no shortage of connections and just general awareness of him. I feel like Prunty, though, has, like... Is PJ Carlissimo connections who was Adrian Griffin's coach at Seton Hall. And he seems yeah, he to works. have a kind of a close mentorship relationship in that regard. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe some conversation happened there. Who should I look to? And Prunty was a name put forward. Um, and obviously Prunty may have been a recommendation internally from the books front office too. And I, I think like... I don't know, I I saw some of the reaction I guess from Bucks fans online and we're far enough removed now that I think there's probably even fewer people who really remember or care to remember at least not in the way that the three of us do Um, the Joe Prunty era in Milwaukee and they just kind of say oh a coach with kid connections and kind of recoil against that Prunty was very different to Jason Kidd and if anything I would hate to even imagine what could have happened to the Bucs if the counterbalance of Joe Prunty was not on that staff at that time. Um, obviously, he stepped up as interim head coach when Kid was fired, but also had a notable spell when Kid uh, got mid-season back surgery in his second season as
3: head coach. Yes, it was. That's when that was like the let's time see. Prunty that... was
2: who l- launched like Chris. To the next level, and even Giannis leveled up in some ways too. Under, was when the coach of,
3: of a Bucks team that had no business taking that Celtics team to seven games. That's true. It's it's very true.
2: A very Just strong o- an- offensive <laughs> coach, like, and that's something he's always had a reputation for. A creative coach. You mentioned a play that he drew up that was notable in Bucks history. That is, I am right in saying, still in our winning six intro, I believe. I think that one. I think it that one the made cut? the cut. I think it made the cut. I can't remember. The fact neither of us are sure probably isn't a great sign. Ty no. nodded and he probably listens to the podcast more than you I, I. I hope
1: it is. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, Apparently, he also helped draw one up an L.U. play that won them a Western Conference it, Finals game in Phoenix. So there's going to be a yeah. bunch of L.U. plays is what I'm hearing now that. Oh, back. yeah. The DeAndre Aiden. Jay Crowder. Yeah. Which, jay crowder yeah well the breadcrumbs are piling up here
2: well yeah prunty also also worth noting i mean his lineage is spurs lineage and again if if there's any recommendation from the book staff, we know this remains important to them um and they would find one way or another because they they seem to value that so i i mean on that one i'm actually quite happy to see prunty back and particularly in the kind of role he's going to be and Interesting for guys like Giannis and Chris, I guess, too, to have a full circle moment where Joe Prunty's back at the start, but they're very different players and a very different team.
1: Yeah, and I just think – I think there's this idea that he's boring because he's been around for a while. If you're not of significant value add and well-liked, you're not going to be an NBA assistant coach for a long time and on a lot of different staffs. It's not like he was on one guy's staff. He's coached for a lot of different coaches, uh, some really good ones as well. And I just think, like, you know, he's now been credited with drawing up a game-winning play three different places, like, clearly is adding even more offensively. And like you said, Adam, if he was the lead assistant, maybe that's, I think, that would probably be a little underwhelming, even if, maybe it would be fine. I mean, I don't, we don't we only don't really know so much about this stuff, but Terry Stotts uh-huh. is the kind of name where you're like, oh, hell yeah, that's, you know, was the Mavs offensive coordinator with Dirk and then coached the Blazers for so long and had so much success offensively. Prunty being another guy with him and just someone else on the bench, I I think is outstanding. And I do kind of wonder if some of the negotiation and delay with salary, I wonder how much of the conversation was like, listen, your amount's not going to be great, but there's going to be a lot of spend on assistant coaching, especially these first few years of Adrian Griffin. Who knows? Who knows if that comes up with the coach or not? I do think if that was a dialogue, it was a smart one for Adrian Griffin, because this is how you set yourself up for success. And as we've seen, if you have that success, then you, you, know, you get the new contract pretty quickly. Uh, John Horst's salary was kind of an NBA joke until they got good, and then he got the new contract pretty soon after that.
2: Mm, I, you're not wrong. I also think it's pretty scummy as, yeah, as a business practice. Of course I, it is. I, 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 can't, I can't really support it in any way. If you're the head coach, you should be making head coach money. Well, he's not uh, not. not. It's not. just
1: low-end head coach money.
2: Yeah, well, the books it aren't might, a low-end team. It might be team. the
1: lowest in the league.
2: Their books aren't a low-end team. The spending on their roster isn't low-end, so the coach should be paid accordingly with the pressure that comes with the job. So I if they want to have a top-end assistant coaching staff, I think, yeah, that's smart. Go do that. Guess what? Your coach's salaries do not go towards the salary cap. So you can go and pay whatever you're paying your roster, and you can... If you want to pay your coach and pay your assistants, like I'm not, I'm not gonna dig in on that, but I don't, I would be reluctant to spin that as a positive because if, if Griffin is the guy and they've decided to say the it guy, was positive, no, no, I'm not saying you're saying that, <laughs> just but I just, I don't, I, I wouldn't give them any credit for that structure because if he's your guy and he's the best guy for the job, well, he should be paid as much as you would have paid any other candidate in your process because that's the money you had there and it's not like if they got Nick Nurse and they decided Nick Nurse was the guy that they're going oh well we can't afford Terry Stotts you know we're not giving you Terry Stotts if you want him so yeah i i that that element of it just raises some eyebrows for me doesn't mean it all won't work out fine but i i don't know about that from Adrian Griffin side of things i i i don't like that idea cuz it was honestly it was crappy when it happened to horse understandable particularly with how that search played out yeah but it's like that's not that's not the answer adrian griffin is going to have more pressure on him than any head coach in the history of the Milwaukee books and if he's being paid considerably less than mike budenholzer was that's not good there's something wrong there
3: yeah um no i echo all the sentences of having experienced staff around griffin Prunty, Stotts, down the line, they have interesting minds. Obviously, there's some carryover from Toronto with Matumbo um, uh, coming to Milwaukee now. And some guys that and have... And Mitchell, you know, too, was there. Mitchell, yes. And some guys that have, you know, Stots and uh, Prunty have been coaches, but I'm not going to overlook DJ Baker or Bakker um, being a head coach of a G League team, too, because it's a very different experience being the guy in the lead chair and having to make those decisions night in night out. Um, so yeah, also I his,
2: have... his lineage is Dwayne Casey. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, I, okay. So there may be some oh, inside oh, yeah, track. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of who else might've been. or there, maybe there were no holdovers from the Casey era. I don't know, but it is possible that there was someone and I don't know. Word has been uh, word has been shared. It doesn't always work like that. I mean, it's kind of natural to try and connect dots and be like, okay, well, what exactly are they getting from this coach, and why is this coach on the staff? But that is a possibility in that case.
3: Yeah. Right.
1: And then the other assistant coaching news, anime-level betrayal, Charles Lee going to the Boston Celtics. Listen, to be clear, like, I get it. Good, it's Good for him. It's, it's, well... Could he do oh, it anywhere Bucks. else? Literally anywhere else? Any other any any what? other team? Why
2: Why would he? I, I mean, mean the books books didn't give him a head coach job. The Pistons didn't give him a head coaching job. So you want to be a head coach? You're not going to be around as part of the new book staff. Go get the best the best assistant coaching job you can get. So he's on a team that's going to be a contender. That's high profile that yeah. has a, an erratic figure as head coach and <laughs> anything could happen there? Seriously?
1: Well, he's not the I'd lead assistant. Missoula. Yeah, I is... know, but... Sam Cassell. No, I, I saw yesterday. I think Wode's tweet that's... Charles oh, is Leeson? he going to be the lead assistant? I know they brought yeah. in Cassell solely with the idea of giving Missoula the support or whatever. And some, some results.
2: <laughs> I Look, I just... I. I have no ill will towards Char- Charles Lee. Um
1: I don't either. Especially went literally I think, I think team. would have been I great. think it's
2: different to, for example, when Ben Sullivan did it. Which every time I see him in the green on the sidelines, I'd be like, God damn it, Ben Sullivan. Pipeline. How dare you? He's How dare to, you?
3: It's that he's trading that green uh <laughs> three quarter zip to a red one.
2: Ben, L- ben red Sullivan Houston. also worth noting, I mean was one of the coaches who uh skedaddled out of boston was was pretty seemed pretty eager to not be a part of the Missoula staff in that exodus and kind of creating the opening so I don't know if notes were were compared there i I wish nothing but the best for Charles and I hope he's a head coach very very soon I do
1: too I, um, I hope he's a head coach before the season starts anywhere else
2: He had chip a sale that's why he that's why he oh, took yeah, that job
1: yeah so clearly yeah i mean it's it's unfortunate i
2: wonder. I wonder, would he have been the Pistons coach if the next wave of events that led yeah. to not do out there? Like, Jesus. And honestly, the Bucs played their part in just stalling the market and making everything weird too because the Pistons were so far advanced. They were down to their three finalists. He was one of them. And then all of a sudden, Well,
1: bang. The re- the reporting was that they the owner wasn't wowed. And I think everything about what happened with them screams an owner who was just like, uh, I need a better name. We we're not winning enough games.
2: I just, just can't it. understand any of it. I mean, Gore's has not been an owner who's he's ready. I, I I out of where? I mean, it's just out of the blue. It's well, like, what took you so long?
1: They've they've never been this bad for this long as he's owned the team. Probably right. I mean, I think it's probably a little concerning that you're just losing people at this point. I think they taking longer. You're than right. They they're less bad
2: though. Listen, I'm not going to make my Detroit Pistons win predict- prediction for next season on this podcast. We'll save that for. This
1: lottery was not good to them. Also, I, I think they are they're trying to ratchet up everything they can to be respectable again. That that's felt very clear. Troy Weaver's kind of had a quietly hot seat for a while. It seems. I, I think they're after. I think a lot of enthusiasm when he got hired on, and I don't know. It's kind of a weird vibe. I don't. I don't love how they're doing. Well, I right mean, now. also. Their best player was
3: out for the year, considerably.
1: They're most exciting. I mean, Boyan might be better. But yeah, it, it's Cade was out.
3: It, yeah, it's just hard. I mean, it's hard to get things going when you strip it down to the studs.
1: Yeah, well, I mean. Like,
3: let's rev- let's go. Now let's go forward. Yeah. And then it's like.
1: The Killian nah, Hayes uh, thing has been tough. I mean, that was the first high lotto pick of their, their new era. And he's just not very good, which is a hard way to start. Yeah. Anyway, got the
3: first
1: I think we'll talk more Pistons probably after the offseason when yeah. we do one of those <laughs> yeah. pods. I think that's probably enough on, on Detroit. See, He's,
2: oh, oh, he's oh, trying. Oh, Jordan, oh. he's trying to pin I this no, on us I again. Didn't, I didn't. He's, he's trying, trying think that's to on me.
3: it's us.
1: That's on me. I started talking about the Pistons. I'll just, before, I'll just say
3: three words. Good luck, Chuck. Totally.
2: <laughs> before we, we move on from assistance, I just want to draw attention to what I drew attention to for about a you guys before we started, which is Patrick Matumbo is an incredible artist.
1: Mm, yes. Go,
2: go, go check out his art. Uh, it's kind of a fun story and one that you should maybe get the head start on because this is probably going to be akin to, you know, Pat Connaughton, baseball player. We're, we're I guarantee we're going to get lots of broadcast pieces on this. There'll be articles about it. But I'm, for one, I'm ready to, you know, gobble all that up because just... there's the, his stuff is really good. It's interesting. I can't think of too many the coaches, you know? Mike
1: Dunlap, we just had art. And the problem is this is going to be a lot harder to do a podcast segment on.
2: Oh, I don't know. We don't I'm have... I'm open to it. I mean, we we could do a... I mean, he had an exhibition, so we could see how much is online. Jordan, what about Patrick Matambo's Painting of the Week? We, I oh. feel like there's like t- 30 to 40 weeks worth from what I've read.
3: I mean... I know, I'm 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 on board. I'm on board. I, I'm just saying. I can see it now, like a Zora halftime interview, exactly with Patrick Batumbo, and she's like, "Okay, give me the broad strokes here. What do the Bucks need oh, nice. to do to?"
2: <laughs> maybe maybe you'll get that gig yeah. Jordan. Uh, yeah, exactly. Keep that hey,
3: what is uh, this? Is a blank canvas of a game, right, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: there's a great there's a great article on AnScape um, on. Watch art, and I highly recommend it. But he does throughout the season. It's not just like, oh, yeah, this is my, this is my hobby." Isn't this a nice picture, John? He's he's legit. So that's a a kind of cool thing. And if we're gonna get someone with you know a passion from the arts from the Toronto Raptors, thank God it wasn't the guy with the guitar.
1: <laughs> the guitar case. TBD on how much is actually even a guitar in that thing, but. Oh, Philly's going to be fun to watch this year, as they always are. But do we do we have uh, anything else about the Bucks to talk about? Javon Carter said no comment on his player option, according to Jim Wozarski of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, which I'm going to assume opt out. But um, no comment from Javon, who, not a wordy guy.
3: He threw the first pitch out at the Brewers game, the... Game that they got swept by the Oakland A's. <laughs> not going to blame Javon. Not going to blame Javon. Um, I'm not going to either. He just happened to go to a, a game.
2: I actually, for... I haven't seen that pitch yet. But I do, did it anyone decent. actually see? I didn't see? watch it. Was it I good? it was I
1: decent. It was right.
3: they, they don't.
2: oh They do put the decent. video. Is this, you're going to. They order?
3: only show it from like off the home plate. I can't accurately. Well, I, there's a they... reason for that, Jordan. I understand. I understand. I am forgiving of all first pitches. It has to be truly abominable. Like 50 cent or uh Mike Carter Williams to be like that is awful. I think I Bo- could have worse. Bobby, the worst Bobby one ever.
2: Portis first pitch at a Brewers game was really bad.
3: I don't remember that cuz I didn't see the actual I, angle that. I I think I Even the it-
2: form. I, I could see the photos in my head and you're like, "Oh my god, where is that ball <laughs> releasing from?" It's just uh, it's not good.
3: I'm just saying there's going to be one probably moment this off-season, offseason where I'm like, okay, what are some quirky things?
1: And then it's uh, – I think you have one of those moments a day, George. Just,
2: just what are some turn. quirky things? That's going to be the moment you have?
1: I, I think he has that moment once a day based on – right,
2: what, what are you going to do with the quirky things?
3: I don't know. Maybe talk about it for – We'll talk about like how we talk about Patrick Tumbo's art.
1: Just ruminate on them. Jordan's is that- meditation is just sitting in a room, legs crossed, thinking what about quirky bucks things. Quirky. I mean, the things. Zoe Day-chanel of podcasters. <laughs> and all about quirky? <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I don't even have a pun or anything. That that's the podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm gonna wrap before Jordan's quirky things start spewing out here. We're gonna we have a long off season to go. The, the 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 roster moves are coming up, but then after that, that's the sneaky part that takes forever. So, uh, we'll have a couple quirky pods in there. First pitch pod. That's just going to be Jordan, I think, on that pod. But we'll we'll see. Um, thanks everyone for listening. You can find links to this and all of our other podcasts. Cruising for a bruising. Ah. It's a great pod. I mean, the Brewers, the Brewers are not making it the most fun. It's a great pod, Adam. I'd rather here if you on.
2: didn't make that noise after you said the name of my other well, podcast. Well, it's about the Brewers.
1: It's about the Brewers. It's not. It's not about you guys. I gotta catch a full series and and get on there soon. Thankfully, I was out of town for some of the athletic series. Whoo, saw it coming, but whoo, still. But check out cruising. Check out talking the tundra. Jordan's podcast with Numak. Andrew Snyder is the other host on cruise. This is not an Andrew Snyder. Shot, Andrew. You're not fired. You're doing great, buddy. Uh, But yeah, check us out. GSPN.info. Subscribe wherever you're listening. Five stars. Rate, review. We really appreciate it. We will be back soon to talk more bucks and, of course, brewers and packers and film on Make Time for This and other things as well. Rohan's the outro guy. Thanks for listening. Pod random. Bye.